you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to skip ahead a little bit here. And if you would like a Bible to follow along, you don't have one, uh, raise your hand. And uh, David will make sure that you have one. And we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 4. It's interesting as we've studied here, I, I've skipped chapter 3 and part of chapter 2. It's all about Paul's relationship with them. He talked about how he was a, a mom, the tender relationship he had with them. He talked about how he was a dad and giving instruction and guidance. He talked about the idea that he was a brother and that they were brothers and uh, that he wanted to come to them. And you remember we had said that he got uh, pushed out of Thessalonica because of uh, people who were in opposition to his message. And so he had wanted to get back there, but he had been... Uh, restrained from doing that by Satan. And uh, so when he got to Athens, he sent Timothy back, it says in chapter 3. And Timothy went and brought back news, and they were doing so well, and Paul was so thankful uh, as a result of that. And he just talked about his joy and his uh, happiness and that they should continue on in their faith in chapter 3. And then we come to chapter 4, and Paul changes direction he's been talking about his relationship with them up to this point and now he begins to say but this is how you live these are the things that are practical these are the applications that you need to have and uh, starts out with finally and it's kind of like oh it's the end and then he goes on for next two chapters giving us instructions that are so important but I, I, I was thinking about this, and I read this article, and I want to read it to you this morning, because as we look at this, I think it sets a tone for us and for our nation. Um, Thessalonica was probably, I, I think it and Corinth were probably very similar to San Francisco. They were uh, port cities. There was a lot of commerce. There were some real positive things going on there in terms of the empire, uh, money going through, business taking place. And, and so they were desirable places to be, but they were also cities with uh, real problems in terms of the undercurrent of things going on, the immorality uh, especially. Uh, you need to realize that uh, according to most poor pagan religions at that time, uh, and he gets into sexuality, I think, as a result of this in chapter 4. We're not going to go into that this morning uh, so much. I want to just get the introduction. But um, their religions had a lot to do with their sexual relationship. In fact, I believe it was the uh, Temple of Diana in Corinth. They had something like a 1,000 prostitutes, both male and female, for the worshipers that would come in. And so... When they became Christians and all of a sudden it begins to talk about abstinence, this is totally different for them. And, and so Paul uh, talked about that. And when our nation or country has certain attitudes, it, it carries over to our lives. So let me read uh, this article I found. It says, uh, just talking about what our lifestyle is like on typical nights, television networks run show after show of police activities social problems, sexual problems, perversion. For example, on Christmas Eve, a married couple separates after a fight. There's a drunk in a bar menacing people with a broken bottle. A priest is killed viciously in a church. A drunken driver is there. There's a stripper, a peeping tom, six other killings, and more than half a dozen woundings. That was on Christmas Eve. Researchers have found that by the time America... 
an American child reaches the age of 18, he has spent more than 20,000 hours before the television set, and much more than he does in any classroom. Last season, television showed the rape of a housewife, the story of a prostitute's life, the emotions and and emotions and a homosexual couple living together, topics that were unmentionable on the air, boy, in my lifetime. The morning and afternoon soaps, they continue to mirror the version of the typical American life that includes abortion, premarital sex, extramarital relationships, blackmail, murder, drugs, wiretapping, and embezzlement. Violence is so much a part of television's simulated real life that studies have shown that it may occur five to nine times in one hour in primetime television as often as 30 times an hour during Saturday morning and after-school cartoons. In studying the responses of 120 boys from the ages of 5 to 14, researchers found clear evidence that heavy TV watchers were no longer shocked or horrified by violence. It will be difficult for children who are raised in this era when they reach adult life to be decision makers about right and wrong because they've been without guidelines. They have no idea what moral concepts are all about. This was an article in the U.S. News and World Report. Does it sound familiar? Guess what? It was written in 1975. That means 44 years ago. The vast majority of you were raised with this. And it affects how we view life and how we react and, and what is okay and what isn't okay. We, this week there were 13 people killed in a mass shooting in Virginia Beach, Virginia. We've had other mass shootings. People have wondered, why has this happened? Why is this taking place? We've lost, we've lost the issue of the sanctity of life, child, unborn, or adult. And so to take a life really isn't that big a deal anymore for a lot of people. We wonder why we have these mass shootings. It's, it's because of what has been established in the hearts of individuals. Uh, just think about it. If you are less than 45. This was written before you were born. And it says, as a result, you will really not have an idea of the difference between right and wrong. Hopefully because you've been in the church, you've grown up in the church, or you've been around the church, you've looked into the Bible, you have an idea of what's right and wrong, and so it makes a difference for you, but it doesn't in our society. And one of the big issues is that people are struggling with how they should live or how they shouldn't live. And, and Paul really begins to deal with this in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, the Bible was written, finished up about 2,000 years ago, but it is very relevant to the world in which we live. It relates to who we are, and so we need to look at it and see how it relates to us. But we have a society that's created that tends to accept immorality. It it, it accepts a lot of violence. 
It accepts the idea of a broken home and improper relationships. And it comes because of what we have allowed ourselves to receive in America. Let me read to you the first three verses, actually two and a half verses of First Thessalonians 4, and then we'll take it apart a little bit. It says, finally, and that's Paul, he's just finished that first section, and now he's coming to this next section, and he says, okay, finally then, brethren, and this can be to both men and women, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, how you should live is really what he's saying, and please God, just as you actually do walk. Okay, you're already there, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. You know, I like the way that starts. It's, it's, he, he isn't necessarily aggressive. He's not domineering. He's not commanding. He says, finally, brethren, finally, all of you in Thessalonica, we request. And, and the word request there is just a, a well, it's not harsh. It's not a command. It, it's kind of just, uh, we desire of this of you. We request and exhort. And exhort's a little more, it's a little stronger. But again, it's not a heavy command. Paul isn't strong-handing them at all when he comes here. But he says, we exhort you in the Lord Jesus. This is something that is beyond the principles and the philosophies of humanity, what people were thinking there, that you receive from us, and you can knock the instruction out of there if you're using King James because it wasn't in the original, that you receive from us as to how you ought to walk and please God. How you ought to walk. That implies motion, doesn't it? That implies that you're living, you're doing something. <laughs> and, and, and what philosophy do you follow? How do you determine how you're going to walk? How do you determine how you're going to live? Uh, back in, in uh, Psalms 1, 1, uh, it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He is not walking in the wrong direction. The philosophies of the world don't set the tone for his life. That's really what it's saying. Who do you listen to? What do you read? What do you take into your mind? When you go online, what, what do you look at? In 1 John chapter 2.15, it says, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so when we begin to think about how we live, we need to stop and say, what are the principles that God gives us here? How do we apply these to our lives? How do we make them a reality in our lives? It, it goes on and it, it says not only are we to walk, but we're to please God. And I believe that should probably be the most important principle of every Christian's life. We ought to stop and every time, every day, we ought to stop and say, wow, is what I'm doing pleasing God or isn't it? Is what I'm saying pleasing unto God or isn't it? Is, is what I'm thinking pleasing unto God or isn't it? One of the men said yesterday, we had a great men's breakfast, and one of the men said yesterday, when I begin to think the wrong thing, I just stop and I go back to Calvary. And I think of the cross and Jesus there, and it changes my thoughts. It brings me back to what's important and what isn't important. 
And so it, it's the idea that we are to please God. It says we ought to please God. I think we can change that to the fact that we owe him. We owe it to God to please him. You know, if, if you just stop and you think about all the blessings that God has given you, all the things that he has created for you, and we take them so for granted, don't we? You know, it says he's given us the creation for our enjoyment. If you go out, not here in Brentwood or this area, but get away from the lights, get away from the city, and you look up at the sky and you see that Milky Way up there, and it's just a mass of stars. You see the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and the Big Bear and Ursa Major and Ursa Minor and uh, goes way back to where I learned all that stuff a long time ago, but... You look at the creation and you go, wow, God gave us this to enjoy. And then you begin to look at the the hillsides and, and the mountains and, and the snow we had this year and the water that came down. And God gave us all of that. And you, Well, you think of the ocean. And uh, we're going to go to family camp this year up there at Tahoe again. And you look at Lake Tahoe and realize that God is the creator of all those things. Jesus, it says, sustains the creation. And, and so we look at all that and we realize, wow, I have so much to thank God for. I have so many reasons to please God. And then we think of our own families and the fact that he gave us a mom and a dad. And, and, and then we, if we're married, we, we have that relationship in the family. And if we have kids, we have kids and we raise them and, and we have that relationship. And when we get into next week, into the sexuality, we're going to deal with some of that and how we are to live and what God expects of us. Oh, so much to be thankful for. So much that gives us reason to please God by our lifestyle and, and our actions. And then we stop and realize that as sinners, we had no hope. We were destined to be lost. We were destined to eternity without God. And yet God in his love sent his son to the cross and he died for us. He gave his life for us that we could have eternal life if we simply by faith receive him. And so we look at that and we realize that, man, so special. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, we were bought with a price. We're not even our own. The Holy Spirit moves in. He takes up residence within us. And we should live our lives in such a way to honor him, to glorify him. And so we look at this and we see the importance of of glorifying God. And it goes on down in this verse and it says, we gave you instructions how you ought to walk, how you really owe God to walk and to please God just as you actually do walk. And, and Paul says, hey, you got it together already. I'm really proud of you and that you excel still more. That, that word excel comes from the word to super abound, that you go the extra mile, you give it all you got. That means everything you do for God, you should do with excellence. We're not to be apathetic in serving God. We're not to be apathetic about our time to come and worship God. We're to excel in excellence. And yet, when we do something for so long, we tend to become apathetic, don't we? Any of you have that problem? I can do this. I got it. I'm good. 
uh, we kind of say that about our Christian. Of course, I'm a good Christian. You know, I I go to church most of the time, and I love God, and I'm a Christian. I accepted Him by faith, and yet, do our lives always show that? And do we serve Him with excellence? Even when we go to work, do we set that example by how we serve our employer? Or how we work with employees, people who are under us? Do we please God? It's one we all have to ask ourselves. Do we live to please God? Do we superabound in this, this area? I, uh, how many of you saw the Warriors game this week? Well, there's a few of it. Boy, this side is totally non-athletic. I am so, oh, David, David did. Okay, thank you, David. You, you held up for the largest group of people here. Thank you. Uh, you know, I was, I was really disappointed in them because they didn't start out very well, and I don't think they finished very well, and I don't think they played very well. Everybody's saying, well, when Kevin Durant comes back. You know, they're a different team when Kevin Durant's there. They're just two different teams. One I don't think is any better than the other. I happen to like it better when he's not there. But, you know, uh, the thing was, after the game, they were questioning a lot of them, and they were saying, oh, yeah, we'll do better this next game. Yeah, we can do better. We're better than this. We just didn't play very well, and we really weren't up for it, and we didn't superabound. They became so apathetic, they thought, well, we're just going to go in and win this game. This is no problem. We've got this. And I heard one of the men afterwards saying, we're champions. We know how to do it. But it's exactly what Paul's talking about here. They were apathetic. They weren't super abounding. And I, I thought about that in terms of our spiritual walk and our service for the Lord. How much do we really go to giving God everything we have? Down in verse 2 and 3 it says, for you know the commandments we gave you by the Lord. The authority can be removed out. We gave you Christ's commandments, what he expects. For this is the will of God. This is what God desires for you, your sanctification. You know, uh, a lot of people come to me. I've had people over the years come to me and say, what do you think God's will is for me? But what do you think God wants me to do here or there? If, if we go over to chapter 5, and we'll look at it in a few weeks, beginning in the sixth verse, 16th verse, it tells you God's will. It says, rejoice always. Are you always giving thanks? <laughs> pray without ceasing. Always be ready to pray. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He makes the same statement. Well, there, this is God's will for you. We come here, and it says, this is God's will for you. Your sanctification. What's God's will for my life? I've had, over the years, sat down with people and we've counseled about job choices and we've counseled about uh, finances and, and we've counseled about decisions on where to move or not to move. And is this God's will for me? I, I don't know most of the time. And that's kind of between you and God. I had one woman came and <laughs> she was uh, going to get married and she said, do you think it's God's will I marry him? I said, I can't tell you that. I said, he seems like he'd be a good husband. Oh, okay. And she married him. From everything I know, it turned out just fine. But what is God's will? I'll tell you what God's will is. 
for each and every one of us that know Jesus Christ, God's will is that we be sanctified. It comes from the same word that we get holy. You know what he's saying? God's will is that you be holy. Now, God is holy, and that means there is no sin. He is the ultimate in terms of holiness. He can't have anything to do with sin. He detests sin. He says that we're to become like him. Uh, you go back to uh, the book of First Peter in verses 13 to 16. It talks about our sanctification. It talks about our holiness. And in First Peter chapter 1 and uh, the 13th verse, going down through the 16th verse, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Get ready. Keep sober in spirit, fixing your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in ignorance. You didn't know right and wrong back then, but now you've got to make a change. You've got to see diff- things differently. You've got to live in such a way it honors God. Verse 15, but like the Holy One... That one who is totally, completely sanctified, the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God's will is that you be sanctified. Let me tell you, when, we, when we're saved, there's three parts to salvation. We tend to think of justification. Justification is when I receive Jesus Christ, it says if we... Uh, for those who receive him, believe in his name, they become children of God. They make him their Savior. They make him their Lord. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You're saved. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There is that point where you now become justified. It means that you are totally acceptable in the eyes of God. Your sins are no longer held against you because Jesus went to the cross and his justification becomes ours. There's a third part, and that's glorification. We're going to be glorified when we get to heaven. We're not totally glorified until that point when we see Jesus and we become like him. But sanctified is in between. That's where we are right now, folks. Uh, in fact, if you go to the Bible, sanctification is, is really seen in three different ways. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it, it talks about what we would call... Um, being set apart, it, it is our completed sanctification or we're sanctified in God's eyes. It, it's uh, positional. And in chapter 6, verse 11, it says, such were some of you. It said your life was not right. In fact, if we go back up to verse 9, listen to what it says because we're going to get into this next week. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, they they really maybe even have said that they believe in Jesus Christ, but it's not a reality. They are not living according to that. The standard of their life isn't the way God would have them to live. It says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, premarital sex, idolaters or adulterers. <laughs> sex while you're married with somebody else. The effeminate, the homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, you know what, sons were some of you, but you were washed, 
but you were sanctified. There it is. It is a point action. It took place when you received Jesus Christ. You were set apart to God for his glory, for his benefit, to serve him. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Your sins were no longer held against you and in the spirit of God. The second sanctification is the one that we see here, though, where it says we are to be sanctified. This is God's will for us, and that is a progressive sanctification that continually takes place in our lives. It means that we are becoming more and more holy because we're living more and more the way God wants us to. It's kind of like birth. When a baby's born, not very mature. I read about a baby this week, or I saw it online, that was eight ounces at birth. Isn't that amazing? Eight ounces, it was the smallest baby they'd ever had there. And, and they did not know whether that baby would live. They didn't expect it to. But they put it in an incubator, and it began to or it continued to develop and form. And finally, they were able to take it home. But you know what? That baby wasn't mature yet, was it? In fact, at two years of age, that baby would be a whole lot different than it was at birth. And when you go past the two years and you get to 20 years, they're totally different. The maturity rate is amazing. And so we look at this and we say, okay, here's a, here's a little baby and it's grown. That's what it says we should be doing as Christians. We should become more and more like Jesus. The Bible makes that statement. Back in Romans chapter 8, it says we are to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and that we're to become more like him because he was holy. Do you look at the life of Jesus and say, man, I want to be like Jesus. I, I want to be like that. And that changes our lifestyle. That changes the way we live goes on in this passage and we'll get to it next week but it says for this is the will of God your sanctification and then he takes this one specific area where it says we're to become like God or be be uh, set apart for God that is that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel that is your body or your spouse in sanctification and honor not in lustful passion like non-Christians who do not know God and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of these things, just as he also told you before he solemnly warned you. And it says, verse 7, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification, but to be set apart to God, to live lives that are honoring unto God, so that he who rejects this is not rejecting man. It's not the philosophies of man that make the difference here, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Do you want to know how you live a pure life? Not by just your self-discipline, although that's part of it, but I'll tell you how you live a pure life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he makes the difference in our lives. And so as we come to this passage today, we realize as Paul is speaking, and this was just the beginning because then he talks about how you get along in the body and how you get along with others and the love that's demonstrated. And chapter 5 has a number of different commands there that we are to follow, and we'll be looking at those. But I want you to know as Christians, we owe it to God 
to live lives pleasing to him. And that means that we stop and we look at our lives and we look at who we are and we say, man, Lord, how did I do today? I dropped the ball, didn't I? There was a turnover. I missed it. I blew it. Forgive me, Father. And I'm so thankful that we have a God who forgives. I think we have a tendency sometimes to look at where we've dropped the ball and instead of admitting we dropped the ball, we just kind of go on and think it's okay. And it isn't. Because we need to come back and confess our sins, admitting what our sins are. You don't go back to the old life. You can't go back to where you were, but you come before God and he forgives and you experience his forgiveness and his love and his acceptance. And it changes life. I want you to know something. We're going to come to the communion service in just a minute. But I want you to know something. I want you to go out of here with this If nothing else, we are to become like what God wants us to be. But you need to know as you do that, that God really cares about you. He's not trying to just look at all your bad points. Because you see, when we begin to do things the way God wants them to do, it transforms and changes our lives for the better, not for the worse. But I read that article to start, and it, and it talks about what our world teaches versus what Christ teaches. And we have a world today that is broken. We have a world today that is hurting. We have division. We have divisiveness. We have broken homes. We have kids with single parents and some without parents. We have people who are struggling with their life where it is, jobless. There's a lot of pain in the world today. And a lot of it comes simply because we don't take time to go back to what the Word of God says. So we're going to be looking at that for the next few weeks. What does God want for us, and how can we be that sanctified individual? Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come to you today, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the compassion you showed to us. You know, I, I know that people are hurting, some struggling with physical issues, some with other issues, and yet you are so faithful. Thank you for your faithfulness, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your compassion. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that is struggling with some area in their life, I pray that you would lift them up, that you would minister to them, that they would find your forgiveness, they would find your strength, they would find your support. Maybe they have an issue in their life they're struggling with right now, and they know it, Father. It's it's almost a habitual thing, and they can't let go of it. Let them find freedom in and through you. Thank you, Father. For your direction, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.